Hey everyone, this is Matt. And I'm Kyle. And we're the Casual Tutors. Today we're going to be talking about something that's mainly related to Commander, but does exist in other constructed formats, and that is synergies versus combos, kind of what they are, how they're different, and where they fall in your gameplay. And like Matt said, we do see these in almost every other format. There's going to, you're going to see syn- synergies. You're going to play cards that synergize well together. You're going to see combos in some formats. But I think the benefit to Commander is, is it's a really good, like we say with everything else commander is a really good entry point it's not only the most fun format in my opinion but it's also a really good entry point for people you get to build with these synergies you get to take a card that specifically says this is what i do and then build a whole deck around it whereas in a lot of these other formats you have to know the synergy first go i'm going to do this synergy and then kind of piece it together learning synergies will help you play other formats but i think it's easier to learn synergies from commander first I think they're also more important in Commander, and we'll, we'll touch on what they are here in a second, but they're more important in Commander just because of the huge card pool that we have to play from, the different themes. People play cards for flavor in Commander as opposed to other constructed formats where it's all about power. You know, it really helps you build creativity and show that creativity through the different synergies that your deck is expressing. I will say, in my opinion, there is a difference between synergy and flavor, and we will talk about that. Obviously, like Matt said, a lot of people get creative creative with their decks and will build decks around a certain theme. I think sometimes that can be more thematic and flavorful rather than synergistic. I think the majority of the time they're the same thing, but we'll, we'll get into it. So just breaking down synergy versus combo to me, and it's incredibly important that we distinguish these two because I think there's a lot of confusion in the commander community that a super synergistic deck isn't necessarily a combo deck and it doesn't necessarily combo off. And a lot of people give combo that negative connotation. Some of it comes from CDH, some of it comes from constructed play, other constructed play. But for me, synergistic is a variety of cards in your deck. It could be your entire deck. It could be, you know, a small subsect of that deck that work together natively without a bunch of outside inputs, without a specific card to trigger a bunch of things. Whereas combo is exactly opposite of that. Think Heliod, Walking Ballista, or Thoracal, and... And like so many other things. Right, where it's one or two cards that are giving you huge pain offs it's not necessarily a win 100 of the time it will be most of the time it's a combo like matt said it's not going to be all the time but a lot of the times like you're looking at thoracle like you're looking at walking ballista heliod a lot of the times if those survive if those hit the table it's a lot of times going to be a win i think a new one that we're going to start seeing a lot is peer into the abyss with shouldered and just those two cards mill half your deck or draw half player draws half their deck then shouldered shoots you for two damage for every card you drop done comboed yeah easy combo Yeah, so give Kyle a chance to say what he thinks the difference between combo and synergies are. Synergies, I have to go back to looking at the way I build decks and the way I kind of learned a lot from the command zone specifically, and I always follow kind of the one-third rule, right? You should have one-third lands, one-third game plan, and one-third everything else. That's going to be your mana ramps, your card draws, your targeted removals, your board wipes, stuff like that. So that one-third that's your game plan to me, that one-third of the deck should synergize. That, if, if it's in your game plan, it should do, and that can go a lot of ways. You know, when you're building the dino deck, your fight spells, which might actually kind of be techni- uh, technically targeted removal, those are still in your game plan because they synergize well with the enrage mechanic. It can overlap, I guess, but when you're looking at synergy, that's really what it is. That's It's your game plan. What your deck is trying to do, the cards in your deck that are doing what you're trying to do with that deck, those need to be synergistic. Now, combo, and combo doesn't just have to be one or two cards. I mean, you, there are plenty of combos out there that are more than that in the lower power 
decks, you'll see people running, you know, four card combos, stuff like that. But combos are, like Matt said, combos are either game winning combos or sometimes you do have the like infinite mana combos, like just extreme value, extreme value, like Kinner bot Kinnon Bonder Prodigy with like Grim Monolith. You're getting infinite mana. You can usually win with that infinite mana. That's the whole idea, but you don't always have it. So there are combos that don't immediately win you the game, but that's what you're looking at. You're looking at the difference between having 30 cards that work together and kind of do a game plan and one to maybe five cards depending on your power level, or not one, I guess two. (laughs) I guess it's usually two because it wouldn't be a combo otherwise. Two to five cards that are big, massive, game-breaking. Yeah, I totally agree. It's definitely, I think five cards is probably getting a little long. I don't know if anybody's really doing that anymore. Maybe when Commander was young, it was much more prevalent. I think our power level as a whole, whether you're conscious of it or not, has been pushed just by Watsy publishing specific cards and making them more available and less available, that kind of thing. It, I usually you see it around the two cards, maybe three. Four it, card is what I consider like the bottom end, you know, quote unquote weakest combo. Right. And it definitely depends on your power level or your playgroup's power level. So I want to talk about why combo has that negative connotation. Kind of like I already talked about, there are players that are experienced in other constructed formats like Modern and Legacy where combo decks like KCI, stuff like that, are obviously so powerful they get banned in those formats. I was going to say not anymore. (laughs) Not anymore. But they're, they're powerhouses, you know, just kind of the engine they have. And... That, you know, carries over into Commander because people see these formats played competitively, whether it's just through random YouTube channels or they catch a Wizards broadcast or something like that. And then, you know, that isn't their idea of what a quote unquote casual fun game is. The other part of this is kind of like Kyle touched on are combos that don't win the game where it essentially turns into solitaire is what I like to say. And it's a lot of that player playing with themselves while the three other players watch. And that really isn't fun for anybody. Sometimes it sucks because you do have a combo that wins, but you're not necessarily perfectly set up for it. So it does take a bit. And I think in those situations, your table should be patient with you and I'll let you get your win. Or have a conversation. Yeah. Say, you know, you got it. It's just going to take you a minute to dig for it. Something like that. And you could be up front. You, I always am when I'm trying to combo off. I tell the, my play group, I'm going to win. Stop me. And if none of them can't, I just go, X is going to happen, follow by Y, and Z is going to finish it out. And then I show them. And, you know, if it's a repeatable combo, I keep repeating it until I win, you know, such and so forth. But it's those combos that don't do that, where maybe, you know, they draw a card, they get a bounce of land, they play a new land, they draw another card, and they just keep doing that forever. And they don't necessarily have a win con, because I have met people that literally tell me up front, their deck has no win con. Those are screwed up people. But Bad is it builders. fun? <laughs> and but, when they're deliberately doing it, they're yeah. just bad. Well, and the on the other side of that, too, I have met a lot of people, and I think the stigma has come out because of combos and because of the, the prevalence of combos where a lot of people will see a combo start to go off and just scoop. I always say, don't do that. That's You got to make them have it. Make them have it. Ask them, you know, hey, how are you going to win this? Because either they're going to do what Matt just said and they're going to actually explain it out. Hey, this is what I'm going to do. This, this, and this, this is how I'm going to win. And it's going to make sense. They're going to show you pieces that they still have in their hand that they can do this with, right? Or what's going to happen, and I've seen this before too, where somebody was like, had a big smirk on their face, thought, "Ah, I made infinite mana. Everyone's going to scoop. And I went, well, how do you win? And they had no actual way to win. They could just make infinite mana. They couldn't do anything with it. They just expected everyone to scoop once they made infinite mana. And so always, I say this all the time, always finish your games out. Always make sure before you scoop. It's if somebody gets a combo off and they're going to do it and they're going to win, whatever. 
It is what it is. Move on to the next game. But don't just, just because somebody says, hey, I got a combo, don't just, you know, give it to them. Don't shut down. If they you're having that rule zero discussion up front, they're like, hey, I'm going to play a combo deck. Are you okay with that? Don't immediately turn them off. If they're playing something like the Thoracle combo and it, it smells of CDH, but you thought we were playing power level seven, then have that discussion with them and maybe either step up your deck if you can or ask them just to bring it down a notch. Well, and a couple of questions you can ask too, and this is something that I definitely wanted to touch on with this episode is when you sit down and somebody says, hey, I got this combo deck. I'm going to play a combo deck. There's a couple questions you can ask. You know, you can ask, how consistent is it? Are you going to, is this a CDH deck? Are you going to get this combo on turn two every single time we play? Are you running 10 tutors and you're always going to be able to tutor for this? You know, or is it, hey, I'm playing this like maybe power level eight and a half, nine casual deck that does have like an infinite combo or two in it, but I'm not, but I'm only running like a demonic tutor and I'm not, you know, I, I'm not running all these CDH cards. I'm not as consistent. I've only, I've played 15 games and I've only seen it once, you know, then it might not be that big of an issue, you know, whatever. Yeah. Good example of that is my Alila deck. I do consider it a power level nine plus, maybe like D tier CDH, but I play things like Heliod Ballista. I don't think I play Thoracle, but I do uh, Helm of Obedience and some kind of Exile effect. And all of those combo together to get me a win in one way or another. And I do play tutors in that deck. That's why I consider it a nine plus and I can go and get those, but I'm not necessarily cramming as many tutors as I can to guarantee I get those win cons. A lot of the time in my Lila deck, I rely on just playing stupid artifacts, making fairies and beating face. Like happens more often than I combo, honestly. But just having that discussion up front, super important. Another thing that Kyle kind of touched on that I think making the opponent have it when they're doing their combo is a lot of players may not have a lot of experience with that combo. They might have just saw a sweet deck on YouTube, put that combo in theirs, or maybe it's been sitting in their deck box forever and they haven't played it in six months, but they don't know the line anymore. And if they don't know the line of their own combo, they can't win. And asking them to sit there and explain it to you is totally fine. If they can't explain that win to you, guess what? They don't win. They did this combo and whiffed, essentially. And that can actually help with a newer player, somebody that just sees a cool deck and wants to build it. That can actually help them actually learn how the combo works, actually learn how the deck works, rather than them continuing that streak onto the next game and the next game and the next game. You know, like, this is a very complicated game. It's not to be unexpected that you'll sit down and maybe somebody at the table doesn't understand how that combo works or you know maybe i i find it all the time i've i have decks that i've been playing for so long that i've just never ran into this specific situation so i thought it worked one way and it doesn't like sitting down and actually explaining out these combos or these you know explaining out the stack what's going on things like that is it helps people grow and become better players I think helping them slow down their play a lot too because like I said, they, they might be super excited about this new combo and try jamming it as fast as they can and they might actually have it but they don't see it necessarily and having them slow down and work through it step by step and even just their regular magic turn working through steps and phases is something that we miss a lot where people just, you know, they might draw before they untap and little things like that they might not seem super important but once you start doing things like comboing or you have a bunch of different synergies on your table that trigger it different steps and phases it's super important to have them slow down take a step back remember the fundamentals of playing magic and just execute a, a better game 
even if that means it takes a little bit longer, which Commander's already a long game. Like, another person taking 30 seconds during their turn isn't going to change a heck of a lot. These triggers that are important with synergies, but as you get into higher power levels too and your decks become more synergistic and you do start to look into combos, these phases that we have that we we go through whether something happens during them or not are really important for people to understand and actually go through. There's so many times where I'm like, oh, you know, I'm not I'm not going to attack, so I'll just skip right through the combat phase. Oh, but I had a trigger that was supposed to happen and I totally forgot. Now it's been three turns, you know? So it's, it is really important when you're looking at combo pieces and synergies and higher power level decks, even lower, but higher power especially, really go through each phase. So I want to talk about different synergies, what they most commonly show up as in Commander. But first, I kind of want to take a step back and do a little bit of shilling. Kyle and I have several different forms of social media, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, including our own Discord, which we're slowly getting one or two members a week, it seems like. And our Instagram's actually growing pretty steadily where we're getting a follower a day, it seems like. And I just really want to encourage you guys to jump in there, participate with us. Even if it's just dropping us a follow, that support really helps us grow, gets us our visibility out there so that, you know, we get more listeners in the end. We're doing solid, about 35, 36 concurrent listeners per week. We obviously want to push that back up to 50 like we got that one week early on. That was amazing. And I know you guys are doing everything you can to help support us, you know, by sharing and downloading and listening. We appreciate all that support. I just wanted to say thank you. And I guess we'll just get right back into the episode. Synergies, I think, are far more common, obviously, than combos. And I think a lot of it hides in different ways that people might not necessarily think about being a synergy. I think definitely by far the most common synergy is tribal commander decks. And Obviously, tribal is also a theme, kind of like Kyle talked about at the beginning of the episode. But See, I would call that an archetype, not a theme. Archetype, okay. Not super different there. Kind of <laughs> synonyms for each other. But anyways, the synergy comes from all these cards that care about your elves. All these cards that care about, you know, soldier, dogs, cats, fairies, whatever it is, they're all synergizing to get you some kind of benefit. You know, whether that's an elf that taps for a green mana for each other elf you control. If it's you know, a rogue that could tap and make another rogue unblockable. Stuff like that are just different little synergies that work together to kind of progress the overall idea of your deck. Right, and, and tribal is one of the easiest ones to actually see the synergies, right? Because you know they're going to all work together. But I think you made a really good point there. With archetypes like that, looking at the archetype is a good way to understand synergies because while they're, they're different things, the archetype really points you to the synergy, right? If you're playing a life gain archetype, right? Your deck is a life gain deck. Then you're going to be looking at cards that have life gain synergy. That is also where it gets a little confusing, right? Because that doesn't always mean every single card in that deck gains you life, right? Some of those cards are Resplendent Angel that gives you angels when you gain life. Some of those cards are, what is it, Sanguine Bond. Whenever you gain life, your opponents lose that much life. As you start to get into like different archetypes, when you start to move up from Tribal, which is probably one of the easiest ones to figure out synergies for, you start to see, okay, there's the obvious ones. And then it starts to become a little less obvious, I think. Like I said, with like like the dinos, for example, that's a tribal deck, right? But you also have the synergies of, I'm going to put all these fight spells in it so that I can make them fight and trigger their abilities. As you start to get into different archetypes, you're going to see a lot more of that stuff. You start to get into, you know, bounce effects. And then all of a sudden, you know, bounce is like, well, if I'm going to do bounce, I'm going to do ETB as well. So you kind of have synergies for both bounce and ETB. 
I think that it starts getting more multi-threaded as you delve into these different synergies. Like Kyle was building on, yes, synergies directly related to your theme or archetype are still synergies. But as you start exploring it and you you know, different color combos, Selesnia, for example, really good at making tokens. Also really good at making 1-1 counters when things enter the battlefield, including tokens. And both synergize together and synergize separately. They're just two separate synergies that you could capitalize on in a Selesnia deck. Things like, you know, gaining life whenever your opponent loses life, but then causing your opponents to lose life when you gain life. Well, it's more and more on the combo side. That's <laughs> a like, specific that's a example. <laughs> Exquisite Blood and Sanguine Bond. That's definitely a combo. But that, that's something that Black kind of just does natively i guess veto is also in there i was just thinking of a cool one with the new ellis norn that's coming out because we watched you know josh Kwai pilot ellis norn this past week on game nights i haven't seen it yet oh well spoiler alert he plays a wedding ring which with ellis norn seems real good because you're i mean it's doubling etb so it's not really directly playing into ellis norn's game plan i was thinking though Maybe if Elishnorn wasn't my commander, if I was playing Black White and, you know, I had Elishnorn and Shouldred in there, you know, Shouldred playing into Wedding Ring is real good because every time your opponent draws a card, you draw a card. So you're killing them and gaining life. And vice versa, when you draw a card, they draw a card. So you gain life and they lose life. It just, it works out real good. And, you know, there's different shenanigans you can do and, you know, different combos where you have multiple copies of Wedding Ring for everyone, that kind of thing. But not getting into those weeds. Once you start exploring different synergies, and I think both statement synergies are almost always directly tied to color and specific colors do specific synergies really well and with kind of the blurring of the color pie that's been occurring lately we're starting to get more mixing where green was almost exclusively counters but now we're starting to get tokens obviously with treasures flat out treasures but even things like citizen tokens and rhinos and stuff that came out of new capenna um they're all kind of starting to do slightly warp things and squirrels you can't forget about the squirrels squirrels yeah chatterfang there is some overlap right you know as you start to think into different synergies and stuff you might start to lean like like when you think artifacts for example let's say you're thinking like blue you know maybe black but a lot of blue and the only reason i say maybe black is because a lot of tezzeret's cards are blue black but you also start to get into like you're looking at partners and you've got like silas wren and a curious sling you know so it does overlap some but think of I- the new mizzet that came out in jumpstart it overtly looks like a spell slinger deck because it lets you copy spells that you don't cast from your hand but what's the easiest thing to bring back in the game? I think it's almost artifacts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and red and blue plays some decent artifacts. Yeah. Just there, synergies. There, there are a lot of synergies, and it overlaps a lot, like you were saying. With the blurring of the color, color pie, especially, we see it overlapping a lot. But I think one of the things that I really, really want to touch on is with what you said earlier about the multi-thread and how some of these colors are starting to blur where they're doing different things, be careful when you're looking at synergies. Don't make the mistake, I'll say, don't make the mistake that Watsi makes when building older pre-cons. They haven't been doing it too badly recently, but a lot of times if you go and you take like, I don't know, like a 2017 Commander pre-con and you pop it open or a 2018, I can't remember which one I'm thinking of. The Sahili Ray one's a good example. You open up the Sahili Ray pre-con or the Lord Windgrace pre-con And you look through that, I guarantee you're going to find three different decks within that one deck. You're going to find 
some synergies between the three of them that kind of work, but there's really three separate ideas that they had because I get it. It's supposed to be like a bouncing off point. You're supposed to build with it, but be careful when you are building decks because it's really easy to go, oh, well, I'm building this green-white token deck, but green-white also does like counters really well, so I threw in all these, these counter cards, but then you have these cards that don't really synergize with your token stuff, you know, so you got to be really careful about over-multi-threading it, I guess you could say. Yeah, you, you want to look for those synergies that kind of passively work together, or they do both things, right. where they'll make a token and put a counter out, something like that. Yeah, Avenger is Zendikar with doubling season. Like, you're going to get your counters and your tokens. It's it's helping both, but it's not taking away from either one. Speaking of doubling season, that's just kind of synergy 101 on a card. It works kind of with everything, one way or another. Kind of, I guess that's why it's so freaking expensive, right? But that color pie is something that's, you know, really been held on by Watsi for such a long time as religion. And we, we saw it. We've seen it, you know, periodically where, you know, they'll let green do something extra. Like, you know, green historically destroys artifacts, okay? Artifacts or creatures with flying. Yeah, but then they'll staple enchantments onto that card in the next set or something like that. Something that white historically or does. They'll, or they'll give us, you know, something like a beast within that destroys anything but gives them a 3-3 beast. So it, it still feels kind of green, but at the same time, there's also a very similar white card to that. Which is newer than Beast Within. Which is crazy. But to me, that feels more white than it is green, even though it's kind of giving a beast, which kind of feels green. So I think I think what I'm trying to say here is, is they do stretch it a little bit sometimes, but I think even when they stretch it, they try to make it still feel feel like that color going back again to Kyle's talking about older pre-cons kind of going a bunch of different directions with their different synergies a lot of that used to be based on how they viewed the secondary commanders in those decks where they might do something completely different than the primary commander but then they go and put like three or four support cards for that synergy in there and the rest of it's for the commander or the vice versa because many times we see the secondary commander working much better in the deck than the primary well and i think in the last two years at least since since the year of commander as they call it i i think that that is something of the past recent commander precons i feel like the whole deck seems to be somewhat synergistic the secondary commander or commanders work with the entire deck just as well Maybe not just as well as the main one. In fact, a lot of times the secondary one works better than the main one in my yeah, experience. They've definitely continued that. But the deck isn't doing, isn't trying to appease multiple commanders. It seems like if you played the main commander, the main commander works with the entire deck. It's just the secondary commander just is better. Yeah, like it's take that, the Jared Cathalian deck that just came out for Dominari United. Jared, five colors, which awesome. They haven't done a five color deck since Ur-Dragon. Yes. So super exciting. They're breaking not new ground, but kind of, you know, turning over older ground, I guess. And Jared Cathalian as a commander isn't necessarily great. He makes some sweet Kavu that are five colors. He makes them into eight eights almost immediately. I seems, like him. Yeah, seems cool. But the alternate commander in there, I think, is green and two. And then it taps for Wooberg. He's like, good. Pay five mana tap for Wooberg. Fixes your mana for the entire deck because half the deck is Wooberg, which Wooberg is white, blue, black, red, green. So it's just all five colors. The thing about him, the thing that makes him so good is he's two in green. If he was two in any other color, I think he'd be much worse as the commander. But the fact that he's two in green in a five-color commander, here's a point of advice. If you're playing a five-color game, or if you're playing a five-color commander deck, do not start the game without green in your hand. 
Yeah, green's the color of ramp. Speaking yeah. of color pie. <laughs> green is the color of ramp. And that's something it, they keep green. It does not matter what five color commander you're playing. Don't start the game without green in your hand. Also, don't play cards with multiple pips of the same color. Maybe get away with like two green, something like that. But if you're playing something ridiculous, it's like two green, three white, four red, something like that. You're probably never going to cast that card. Unless you're playing OG Jota. Yeah, well, then you're just cheating. You don't really care what color yeah. anything is. Or if you have the money and you're putting a lot of a lot of things into, uh, or a lot of money into playing things like Prismatic Omen and uh, Chromatic Lantern and stuff like that, but still, like, I still wouldn't, even in that case, even if you know that you have those cards and you have a lot of those cards and you have a lot of synergies to let you play these multi-pip cards, I still would not do more than two of any single color. And Kyle just hit it on the head. These are still synergies. The mana rocks you play, your land base, everything synergizes for letting you play the cards that are in your deck that synergize in other ways. In a sense, sometimes sometimes mana rocks and mana-based enchantments like that are more synergistic in certain decks than they are in others. Right, if they if they net you a fairy every time they cast an artifact or enchantment, they do that. But they also let you synergize with your deck to synergize with other cards. Right, because they let you play your cards. Yeah. Not much better synergy than physically being able to play your cards. I don't know how many combos there are like this but what is your thought on a combo that instead of insta wins locks others out of the game and is that the same is that in the same realm as a normal combo i'm talking like mycosynth lattice karn the great creator is that in the realm of the other combos even though it doesn't instantly win you the game but it stops your opponents from winning the game so it'll eventually lead to you winning the game definitely still a combo to me it's probably the crappiest combo unless they literally have the win within the next one or two turns. Oh, I'm not saying you're not a piece of shit doing it. Yeah, because that turns into what I was talking about with the solitaire gameplay and literally it becomes solitaire because even though they might pass the turn, you're not doing anything. So definitely still a combo. I don't, I definitely wouldn't advise it with your casual play group. So it's worse then. I don't think it's worse. It's definitely a bad combo, bad in the sense that it removes from the fun of the game for the majority of the players. You might think it's the best thing ever. You're a piece of shit, but you might think it's the best thing ever. And that doesn't matter. It's still a combo. And I think if you are playing that combo, it is important to let your group know before the game starts. Yeah, they should understand. I mean, you should always have a game zero conversation anyways. But I also think that's one of those examples where I really do think that as much as that is not technically an instant win the game, it is. Right? There's there's only... So here's the thing. There is only in recent times a way to deal with that, I, I think. I think Deadly Rollick would be the only card printed that could deal with that outside of outside of the stack if if it's already hit the battlefield and force vigor okay i forgot about the forces yeah but even then that's two cards there might be a, a, a handful of and them out there force of vigor is a 35 dollar card right and I deadly rollick's like a 45 dollar card yeah, isn't it so yeah probably yeah it's so free spells it, it it's it has to be a free spell card it has to have a lot i mean there has to be a lot of like with deadly relics your commander has to be on the battlefield in order for it to work and you have to have it in your hand and you have to somebody has to be in black you know force of vigor you have to have the extra card in your hand to discard right or exile yeah which if you're playing green and you're already not doing anything else on your turn because this combo is out sure. usually not a problem but then you also have to have it in your hand you got to remember we're playing a format that's 100 card singleton 
Yep, I'll probably just like cheat and knock my deck over. No, I'm just kidding. Whoops. <laughs> oh, how'd this force of vigor get up my sleeve? But that's, I mean, that's another thing. If if you know they're playing it and they get it out, you know, they, they do the, hey, do you guys have anything to respond to this? Because this is going to, this is what's going to happen. You go, no. It, really, it's your choice at that. If Do you know that you have the removal in your deck that can deal with it, that without you tapping lands? And then do you want to sit and wait? And draw every turn and wait for it. Or do you just want to go on to the next game? Because that's, you know, sometimes probably just the better option. Um, I would say 95% of the time, if I get Karn Mycosin, I scoop. Even if someone else at the table might have something, good for them. I'm out. Well, and I can tell you this too. I've I've had, I played a game, my old Esper Artifacts deck, where I had, uh, I want to say, I had, at one point, I had probably four or five different combos on the battlefield that I could have won the game with, except I was being locked out by another player who was playing with the Staxi counter deck. And I literally couldn't, I had like three combos that wouldn't work because they were locked out due to stacks. Is this because of a Venzer loop? It was that, uh, the fairy that can counter spells and, uh, and not a Venzer loop, but that fairy that can counter spells and she gets the counters, but they she just persist. But they, yeah, they had like solemnity on the battlefield uh, or so something like that. So she wouldn't get the counters. And so I was literally, and I had like Emery Lurker of the lock on the battlefield. So I was continuously trying to replay these over and over again. But the, and the problem with that is, is then you've got, he's got a combo on his side of the field that's stopping his opponents from winning in a sense not really helping him win which is stopping me when then you have a locked out game that's not even solitaire and i think by the end of it i think we just all scooped because there was nothing we could do so you do sometimes have to kind of be careful with combos because if your play group gets very comboy you start to see stuff like that happen yep and that, that definitely brings me into how I wanted to finish this episode. So we talked about synergies. We talked about, you know, kind of how they differ from combos, how they appear pretty much in every commander deck I can imagine, unless you're literally just playing like the purest form of battle cruiser magic there is. There's accidental ones I find all the time that aren't that that are like, like you accidentally get a four card combo that you didn't know existed because the four cards are synergistic. Yeah. But I wanted to bring it back to combos and that negative connotation and the salt factor that goes with them. Because the saltiest I've ever seen people have been over combos or what they perceive is a combo. And, you know, Kyle bringing up Solemnity brought something forward in my mind. In stacks pieces by themselves are not combo cards. Stacks is a strategy, an archetype. Which makes those synergy cards. They're synergistic. And unfortunately, some stack pieces are suited to specifically stop synergies by themselves. Solemnity is a great one. If you're playing a plus one, plus one counter deck and your opponent drops a Solemnity, there goes your game unless you draw removal, which you should be playing removal if you're relying on synergies like that because so many of your fucking cards are enchantments and stuff. Removal is protection. That's the thing. Is is yeah. Is you should... Any deck you play, you're going to want to protect your commander or some piece or something. Removal works as protection in a lot of cases. Yep. But that Solemnity, again, I can't reiterate this enough, is not a combo. It does combo with other cards, like what he was talking about with that fairy that's also escaping my my memory. But Glenelendra Archmage? Yes, Glenelendra. But by itself, it's not a combo. It, It is super salty when it directly affects you, and... It definitely will, you know, cause some tempers to flare. I know I've definitely experienced. And there's definitely been times where I've held back start cards like Solemnity when I'm playing. Maybe it's a new player or maybe I know their deck isn't necessarily as powerful as mine. I just won't cast it. I'll keep it in my hand and then they'll do something that pisses me off and I'll play Solemnity half the time. But, you know, that's kind of magic the way it is. 
And that actually, that brings something to my foremind that uh, is going to be, I want to I tease at a future episode that we're, we're going to do and talk about combos and synergies in respect to the ban list. We will do, I, I guess we've done, we've talked about it a lot because it's hard not to talk about bans and restricted, but uh, just a question that I kind of have here is looking at two cards that are semi-recent in ban history for Commander. I'm going to look at Paradox Engine and Iona. I understand why Paradox Engine was banned. Paradox Engine is this, this is a combo piece that is very good and works with so many different things. Very easy. Very easy. But then you look at Iona, which is a stacks piece. Now, Iona pissed somebody off and it got banned. It had to have. Iona is, it is a stacks piece and it's not even I wouldn't even say even the, the top, top 10 worst stacks pieces. No. Dranith Magistrate is worse than Iona, in my opinion. I play Dranith Magistrate. I would play Iona. Right. And this is coming from somebody. I have a monocolor deck. I've had a monocolor deck since I started playing Commander. And I've had Iona used on that deck before, before she was banned. And I still don't think it's ban worthy. Because you know what happened is I... I had a round that I couldn't do anything. And then somebody removed Iona because Iona picks a single color. Not every single person. Somebody else is going to be playing another color that they can remove her with, right? Yeah. We, we are not a mono-colored heavy format. Yep. If she isn't pissing someone else off the table that can do something to remove her, there might be someone else at the table that maybe isn't being affected by her, but doesn't want you to be affected because politicking is very real. And again, another subject we'll probably talk about down the road is politics. But when it becomes one-on-one, obviously the person playing Iona isn't going to be really worried about the person that's largely affected by Iona, especially if you're monocolor. You basically are out of the game. Right. That's a detriment to all your other opponents because if they're dropping Iona, they're probably already ahead, at least on mana because Iona's not cheap. I think it's six or seven mana. It's a big old angel. Yeah. So... You're, you're ahead in some category, so someone else is going to want your support, whether it's to try using you as a tool and then eventually killing you themselves, or if they just flat out have no chance without you, and they need that attention from the Iona player to be you know, spread out among everyone else. But, but really what I was saying with that is, as you listen... Think about the bans and restricted. We've talked about bans and restricted in the past, but we haven't really, we haven't gone too much into our opinions on it and too much into looking at what's actually banned and restricted, at least the easier formats like Commander. But think about it. I mean, does the ban and restricted need to exist? Is combo pieces like Paradox Engine make sense, but things that are just strictly stacks pieces that only affect a very small percentage of gameplay like Iona, you know, do they not make sense? Just something to think about as we kind of work in the future on episodes revolving more around the bans and restricted. Yeah, and I do want to talk about ban and restricted now that it's not hasn't happened. It's something that's very recent with a card they spoiled from the upcoming Phyrexia All Will Be One set. I just want to precurse this with since Commander's kind of origins up until I want to say like 2017, the rules committee and the CAG were kind of just invisible hands that nobody really cared about. They knew who Sheldon Mennery was. They probably didn't know any other RC members. And every once in a while, they would post something. They would ban something. Something would happen. And these days, they're pseudo-celebrities. They have direct influence at WotC. And they guide the rules of this game that's, you know... But like I said, they never existed before. Well, they did exist, but not really to anybody that really was playing the game. And there's no reason that your group 
can't operate at that same level still. Sure, recognize the pseudo-celebrity status of these people, but anything beyond that is up to your group. You, If you have Power 9 and a ton of people in your group have Power 9 and you feel like playing with that in Commander, go for it. If you don't feel like Iona's a problem like Kyle and I do, player. If you like proxies, play proxies. And I, I think that we got the freaking thumbs up gold stamp from Watsy on proxies now as far as I'm concerned. It's not a sanctioned format. As far as I'm concerned, it is easier to sit down knowing, hey, everyone's following these rules because you know what to expect. But at the same time, talk to your playgroup. It's a casual format. And if they ban another card before it's even released, I'm going to start ignoring the bans and restrict or the yeah. ban list for Commander. So I'll talk about that card. But I just wanted to say, as long as your playgroup is following the structure of a Commander deck, you could be playing Canadian Highlander where you have points for all your cards and you keep your point level under a certain level. If it's still a 100-card singleton and you're playing against three other people that are playing 100-card singleton, Commander is going to work. It will find a way. And assuming you're halfway decent or cognizant when you're building your deck, you will function at that group. That's just as far as their influence should be, in my opinion. Okay, off my chest. So that card we're talking about that might get a preemptive ban, at least the rules committee wants it to get a preemptive ban. And by rules committee, I literally just mean Sheldon Mennery this time, is the new Elish Norn. She's great. She's Panharmonicon and Torpor Orb on a 4-7 Vigilant, 5-costed, mono-white body. And, you know, relevant, it's 4 and a white, so she's easy to cast in everything that plays white. I do think she's very powerful. I do think she's very going to be very prevalent. But things like Panharmonicon are already super powerful, already super prevalent. We all know it's Josh Lee Kwai's favorite card. No, that's Fidalcon Ori. Is that what it is? Yeah. Okay, well, close. <laughs> it is a favorite. Which is another powerful. Yeah. It's a favorite across the commander community. Torpor Orb definitely sees less play, but I think it is a very powerful stacks piece. I think it sees less play because it's, it's a stacks piece. It's so salty. Here's my argument. One, Torpor Orb and Panharmonicon are technically easier to play. Any deck can play them. They're colorless. They're, colorless. They're easier to tutor for, especially if, if you're playing, if, if Elish Norn is your commander in mono white, the easiest thing to tutor in mono white is artifacts and enchantments. Yeah. You know, Elishnorn is not going into Yorok, who's the foremost ETB commander. I mean, maybe if you're, maybe we'll go back to our roots and we'll see a lot of more, a lot more Brago decks running around now. I just, I don't, I don't think we're going to be seeing, one, I don't think we're going to be seeing mono white Elishnorn decks. I, I don't think that's what it is. And I don't see, as you could make a good Staxi ETB-ish mono white deck, but I just, I don't see it. She's going to go into the, she's going to go into the, either the Bant or the Azorius stacks decks, or maybe Blinky stacks decks, you know, but you're going to see her in Grand Arbiter, which is already such a salty commander that you barely see him anymore because he's a freaking nightmare to play against. Yep, that Torpor Orb effect is going, she's going to be more popular than Torpor Orb, hands down, but it's going to have the same effect on her where she's still not as popular as Panharmonicon is flat out as, you know, the other, like Shouldred is. Like, I think Shouldred, I don't think she's ban worthy either. Nothing is ban worthy. I'm going to flat out say that nothing is ban worthy. I think Shouldred is more of an oppressive card than Elish Norn is. She's way easier to combo with. As we said, Peer into the Abyss is one card and it's black. Boom. Done. Shoulder just won you the game. Elish Norn, like we see in game nights, is a value engine. It's pure value, just like Panharmonicon. But all these things that are doing, you know, blinking in Skyclave apparitions, exile cards, we're bouncing things, drawing cards on ETBs twice, stuff like that is nothing new to the world of magic. Right, but I think... I think and she's a creature. Remove creatures. I think that's the 
problem with her though is I think she's kind of leading you into the over multi-threading, right? Is I think really what you're going to use her for is is as a torpor orb and then get extra benefits from things incidentally like Skyclave Apparition. It's definitely going to be a huge risk where people put way too much ETB value into the deck and have no way of winning besides swinging with a 4-7 body. Like I said, I don't think she goes into the ETB deck. I think she goes into the stacks deck. No, but that's what people are going to try because up front, she's an ETB commander. But she's a stacks piece that helps incidentally with ETBs on ETB stack pieces. Well, the most powerful thing you can do in white is exile creatures. And there's innumerable number of things that ETB to exile target creature, you know, whether it's till that thing leaves the battlefield or whatever, that's the true value. Sure, playing a card and drawing two extra cards because of that ETB is great and it gets you to see more of your deck, but people are obsessed with that value. The weird thing though is, is like from what I've heard and from what I've noticed is, is I really don't think people are so focused on the ETB thing. When, when like you said, I really think it's the, the incidental value from ETB stacks pieces or exile pieces that are removing things rather than really the prominent ETB decks are not in white right now. Yeah, agreed. I think a lot of this is going to be driven by your group's power level. If your group is doing stuff that's super oppressive, if you're seeing a ton of things like Dockside's, not that Dockside's necessarily oppressive, but it's a it's a super popular, powerful ETB. If your group's playing lots of those, lots of other creatures that are enchantments or whatever that just generate pure, legitimate threats on ETBs, like doubling season, stuff like that, she's definitely going to be played more as that torpor orb effect. Right. If your group is casual and they don't play that removal that they should be. They don't play really any interaction at all. She's definitely going to be abused for that ETB doubling. Yeah, I'm going to say it right now. There's there's three decks off the top of my head that she goes into. Rune of the Hidden Way, Grand Arbor Augustus, and Brago. I, I, as using her to her full potential. Definitely Brago. Rune is interesting too. Those blink commanders. You're going to, one, I don't think you want to play her without blue. You wouldn't be able to protect her. You wouldn't be able to protect her. A lot of your best ETBs are in blue. Well, and then blue, not that white doesn't have blink. She's most powerful in those blink decks. That's why Rune right. and Brago are so interesting with her. Is that but I still, they, they, they turn her into a combo piece rather than a synergy. But here's the weird thing is I think rather than doing a ton of fun blink shenanigans, I think you just kind of turn Rune or Brago more staxy oh, than 100%. they would have been. Because you're going to be playing things that like Skyclave Apparition, they enter in exile you're gonna be playing every kind of fiend hunter stuff like that with you know fiend hunters already kind of broken because i don't know if you know this about fiend hunter but it enters it targets a permanent to exile and then a separate trigger goes on the stack that when fiend hunter leaves the battlefield that ter- that permanent comes back because of spacing yeah because it's a separate paragraph entirely mm-hmm. if you get rid of fiend hunter before that second uh trigger resolves fiend hunter's gone you can never get that permanent back from exile right the, it doesn't ever see fiend hunter leaving the battlefield field. So Fiendhunter by itself is a whole different story. But I mean, that's something that she's definitely going to be, it's going to be played in the Elastorn or the Brago deck. How often do you see Brago? I mean, we We used to, I I remember there used to be like one in our local community. It was mine. 
Was it yours? Yeah. No, I think Mike Mattis had one too. Oh, I definitely had one. Brago, Brago used to be really popular. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But even when we went to something like MTG Summit or Grand Prix Reno in 2019, like I didn't play against a single Brago deck. And I, I probably only played four or five Commander games in Summit. But in Reno, I played, you know, over 20 games and I didn't see any really blink shenanigans. Just as a heads up, this is something that's going to be synergistic in a lot of decks, something that's going to be a combo piece in a lot of decks. So expect to see it. You you always, I feel like with a piece this big coming out of a brand new set, you're going to see it quite a bit before it maybe loses some interest. And maybe you won't see it at all because the, you know, RC and the CAG just immediately ban it. But Ooh. if if they do that, I mean, I, I'm going to be having a talk with my play group about doing something else because I, I want to get to play these cards. And you know, if, if you need to have a conversation that says, all right, these are banned as commander, but you can play them anywhere else. That's fine. You don't have to do everything the RC and the CAG tells us to do with it. Another card worse than Shouldered? Turgrid. Yeah, who's not banned? Who isn't banned? Way more oppressive. Super oppressive. Anyways, I want to bring this home just with one final quick discussion. I was kind of leaning into this before we got distracted by RC and Sheldon and banning and Shouldered. Or not Shouldered, but Elish Norn. I guess Shouldered was in there too. But that is salt generation on a combo level. Just because someone in your playgroup lets you know that they're playing a combo in their deck or they're about to win with a combo is not open season to break out that pickaxe and start chipping away at your salt. They are playing a game to win, just like everyone else at that table. If it's a particularly shitty way, like with Paradox, not Paradox Engine, but Karn and Microsynth Lattice, then you can let them know that's shitty. What are you talking about? That's fair magic. That's as far as that discussion needs to go. Let them know that you aren't okay with this, that you don't want to see play against this again and boom done they you voiced your concern we can move on to the next game if people are having that rule zero talk with you and they're telling you combos in their deck don't attack them don't call them scummy combo players unless you know them very well and their name is kyle but that's a different discussion with different relationships if you're just playing in a casual pod at least thank them for having this discussion with you voice your concerns see where everything shakes out if that means you got to play a more powerful deck if that means they play a different deck these are discussions we can have as adults i mean heck if it's that casual you're probably at a store somewhere you can always you know maybe say hey um this one's not for me then i feel like yeah Yeah. i feel like this is going to be at too high of power level pick up see about playing somebody else maybe see or playing at a different table yep and that's something that we definitely don't do enough at our own local store we get very set we find a pod and we stay in our pod all night i definitely want to encourage people moving around because i think that gives you the most diversity and builds the most relationships in your group and it helps in situations where either you or someone else in your group might be salty and it gives you an easy way out if you flat out just don't leave because that's also an option go home it's a game anyways again hit us up on our socials it's our link trees out there it'll be linked in the description you know our discord isn't super active right now but i'm sure we get more members we'll definitely pick that up super excited to talk with you on there same thing with facebook twitter instagram tell us what combos and synergies you're looking forward to or you play or you think are particularly scummy tell us why kyle is wrong about car and mycosynth lattice anyways this is matt and i'm I'm Kyle. And we're the Casual Tutors. Thanks for listening.